Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome to the B2B playbook. Kevin, we are one week closer to a celebration of your love your wedding party, how the planning going, how's the planning going? It's it's happening. It's uh <laughs> it's just a little slower than we'd like. We'd love to have it done. My partner and I are not big event planners and we don't enjoy the stress of organizing. So we'll be very happy when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a funny thought that you just spend all this money on this one day. And it's for everyone else, mm. and you're not even going to enjoy it. I know how much you hate attention. This is you are literally spending <laughs> a fortune on creating your worst nightmare. Thoughts, comments. I mean, in some ways, that's true for me. But I think we'll we'll look back on it fondly, and we'll regret not doing it. So, in the interest of future future me, I'll have to suck it up. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I feel like by the time you want to look back on it, deep fakes will be so good that you could probably just recreate <laughs> digitally whatever memory you wanted anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, but I'm sorry, I've just brought this up now because <laughs> I know you. I know you think that's a good idea. <laughs> no, no, it's it will be lovely to have everyone there. I think I think when we're actually there, we'll enjoy it because. As you know, George, we're not having a very formal event. It'd be closer to a cocktail party than than a wedding celebration. So uh, no, it should be it should be fun. It'd be nice to see my circles and my worlds colliding. We talked about in a distant episode somewhere your worlds colliding and how that's not good. But 
thankfully my worlds are quite small so not too much colliding going on as much as i hate the attention shifting from me to you i will be very excited to see how your worlds blend (laughs) and uh hopefully there are some a few meteoric collisions there and i think a few of our (laughs) old agency friends um will do their best to make a big mess for you (laughs) to clean up I'm hoping so, because otherwise, you know, if there's all like me there, it's going to be pretty, pretty quiet. <laughs> oh, God. I I'm, don't know if I need to turn off these lights above me. I can see the light just shining on my forehead. On your forehead. And <laughs> my forehead. And it's making me a bit self-conscious, Kevin. My, when I went and got my eyes done years ago, because I needed glasses, the eye doctor said that, one of the significant risks in getting laser on my eyes was that I had an unusually large brow. <laughs> and that was a significant <laughs> risk. And <laughs> I think maybe some of these doctors need to undergo sensitivity training because it's obviously stuck with me. <laughs> I can't change that. We'll get you a big diffuser. Very big. I think I either need to become a hat guy or I need like bangs or something. <laughs> George, I can't imagine you in a hat. I can't imagine you in a hat. What will you do with your beautiful locks? You won't be able to show them off. Mm, okay, bangs it is. Bangs it is. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> big brow. That's big a new brow. one. Big <laughs> brow. That is a new one. The big brow. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well. Good thing we're podcast first and most people won't see the big brow. <laughs> yeah. I know. I keep saying that, but... The reality is, Kevin, way more people view our videos than listen to our podcast. So <laughs> I keep telling us that, but in reality, it's not true. People are seeing our faces way more. Maybe maybe just don't talk about the brow and draw attention to that in your snippets. Yeah, that's right. We might just have to cut all this out. <laughs> anyway, Kevin, fortunately, none of our listeners have made a comment on any of our LinkedIn posts about my big brow. So I don't need to take any of that feedback because I would do anything for our listeners. You know, I would go and look at how <laughs> can I make this better? Do I need to get bangs? Do I need to make take a more drastic surgical approach to making this better for our listeners, for our viewers? Because Kev, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's creating that feedback loop with your audience, with your potential customers and what it is that you're putting out there. And that is the segue so far. <laughs> I think maybe the best <laughs> one we've had this season, which is really, really uh, shows how low the bar has been for my segues. <laughs> well, George, you know, that sounds like a, a great topic for a LinkedIn poll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's one that I could definitely get you to vote on. But it is a very, very good topic for today. And I think it fits in very nicely with what we've discussed over the last three or four episodes this season, Kevin, which is all about being helpful. And the last three episodes, we've covered really everything that our listeners need to position their content so their audience, their potential customers are actually going to pay attention. We showed you guys how to pick a format and a channel to distribute your content in so that it's seen. We gave you our seven-step content repurposing framework last episode so you can then scale your content. So Kevin, today we are talking about how to create that feedback loop to make your content better and better. And there's really two main sources of data that we'll be talking about. And those are qualitative and quantitative. 
and Kevin, I hate how much they sound like each other when I see them written next to each other. It takes my brain a while to process that these are different words, but they're two super different data points or ways of looking at data, aren't they? Yeah, they are very different. I'm sure most of our listeners will know the difference, as confused as you get, George. But uh, <laughs> we'll quickly we'll quickly just define those terms for the purposes or the context of this podcast. So qualitative data. Qualitative data is about stuff that's not easily reduced down to numbers. So qualitative data tends to answer questions like things about the what, the how, the why of a phenomenon or events that are happening, whether that's on your website or how people interact with your brand, rather than questions that are more numbers-based. So questions like how much or how many. And that's where quantitative data comes in. So when we talk about quantitative data, we're talking about stuff that's defined by value of the data in the form of counts or numbers, where maybe each data set has a unique numerical value attributed or associated with it. I think a few quick examples of each qualitative data is LinkedIn comments. Someone telling you why they love their con- why they love your content, telling you they love your content for X, Y, Z reasons. Quantitative data, on the other hand, would be something like Google Analytics, where it reports things like average time spent on a blog page or scroll depth, um, how far they got along in your page. Kevin, not to draw it back to me, but <laughs> if if we were to run that LinkedIn poll that you were talking about just before about whether George should get bangs because of his <laughs> big brow, the quantitative would be the answers to that poll of yes or no. And the qualitative would be the comments underneath, which are telling you why people don't like my big brow. People might be commenting, (laughs) yes, I find it distracting. Yes, the light is shining off it and it makes it hard to consume the content. Or (laughs) like those are qualitative insights that you wouldn't get just from that poll alone. Yeah, that's right. Very good example. You know, George, the, the more we talk about this poll, the more I think we're really going to have to run it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be bullying, Kevin, and we do not condone it <laughs> if it's directed at me. <laughs> I like to dish it out, but I don't want to take it. <laughs> Fair enough, George. Right. Your brow is safe. Your brow is safe. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, Kev. The whole point that we're looking at qualitative and quantitative data is to make our content better. And I think it's probably worth telling the listeners or reiterating to the listeners why we even need to make our content better. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very uh, basic question and one that seems obvious, but I think it is worth turning your attention to and, and, and just thinking it through for a second, just in case anyone asks, like, why are we even doing this? So Kev, the way that we see it when we discuss this, it's that B2B businesses are all realizing that they need to have some kind of content media arm to their business if they're going to educate and entertain their potential customers. And as more people do it, the ones that resonate or create content that resonates and speaks to their audience the closest is the one that is going to stand out and the one that people are going to follow. 100%, George. I think it's also very important that As we get more connected now, and we're obviously a lot more online, all of us, um, the trends and pain points and even interest points that people gravitate towards, they're also changing a lot quicker because we're spending all that time online. So very much quicker than they used to when things were offline, things would travel uh, through circles a lot quicker. And because of that, 
that ability to quickly respond with your content to those changes and trends and pain points becomes much more important for you to actually remain competitive in whatever space you're in. Right, it's no longer enough to know that people really like this particular piece of content we put out there. We need to know why, which part they liked, which part, they probably didn't like the whole thing, <laughs> which one, two key points and it really resonated with them. And then what else is in the article that they had questions about that they need to clarify? Yeah, I mean, like traditionally, that whole process would take a lot longer to get feedback on, right? You probably have a researcher who goes out into the field and talks to your audience and things like that. But now we have this great thing called social media, rightly or wrongly great, but uh, it, it is a big part of our life now. And that means we can use it as a tool to get just as quick feedback that we otherwise wouldn't be uh, able to get. And honestly, it's like everyone's onto it. So you kind of have to do it to keep up. Can you leave social media alone, please? It's giving me the attention that I so crave, Kevin. And yes, I know that I'm going to get addicted to it and it's going to lead to a very unhappy downfall. <laughs> but, but, but for now, it's really scratching my itch. Every weekend, I have to remind you to get off social media to take a moment. But, uh, you know, for better or worse, it is with us and we do have to leverage it where we can. All right, George, now that we understand why, I guess, making content better is so important. Let's talk about why you need both quantitative and qualitative data when it comes to making your content better. Yeah, Kev, these are essentially signals as to how much your target audience likes your content. We just touched on it before, but you can look at the qualitative and quantitative data and see, did this particular angle on a topic work better than another one? Which one drove more engagement? Which one did they spend more time reading? What are our listeners, what are our potential customers saying about this content that really helped them? Which points in it really resonated with them? What is it that they wanted clarified any further? Ultimately, in one sentence, Kev, it tells you what they care about. Sorry to interrupt, guys, but I need to let you know that our next cohort of the B2B Incubator is launching at the end of May 2024. If you don't know, the B2B Incubator is our program that gives you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to drive demand for your business in 12 weeks. We keep you accountable with live Q&A sessions and make sure that all your questions are answered. It's designed for small in-house marketing teams with limited time and budget. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand gen roles, content leads, growth marketers, and more all go through this program. They're all now executing the demand gen strategy that they created in the program. And some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after applying the principles from the program. So if you're stuck on the activity hamster wheel and you're ready to be your more effective marketer that contributes to the business, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, head to the b2bincubator.com. Apply now. There's only 10 spots per cohort available. The B2Bincubator.com. Okay, back to the show. And that's really that feedback loop we're talking about, isn't it, George? Building that two-way conversation, a feedback loop, so you can actually figure out in, in real time almost, what are they responding to? What is it that they care about? And basically, that context around the quantitative data that you you sometimes miss when you're just looking at the numbers. Yeah, Kev, if I go through some articles that we've had written for a client of mine, one of those articles that have been up around the same amount of time, one of them has an average read time of like 30 seconds, 
That's the amount of time people have spent on that article reading it. And the other one has an average read time of 11 minutes and they're the same length. Wow. So you can see very clearly over time, like which one is actually hitting home with the mm. audience that we're trying to reach. And then we can go and do even more of that. Again, that was quantitative data. We don't actually know which point within that article our potential customers found really, really useful. And Kevin, if we want more uh, immediate qualitative insights on which part of that article actually resonated, we want to take the key points, there might be three, four key points in it, repurpose that into LinkedIn posts, post those, and then see what kind of engagement and comments and feedback we get on those. So again, we can see what people like, what's resonating, what needs to be clarified further. Oh, George, you're giving away the secret source of how we do content here at the B2B Playbook. That's what we do. Sharing is caring, Kevin, and we care about our listeners. So much so that I would cut my brow in half for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not sure how, how much you're uncomfortable about your brow, given how much you bring it up and talk oh, about Oh, I know. But, you know um... me, Kevin. All press is good press. I really don't care. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your brow aside, your brow aside, I, I do agree with you that that is, that is a very important point to repurpose some of those main points and get that qualitative feedback. That swings us nicely into what we want to talk about next, why you should be really focusing in on qualitative data versus quantitative data. For us, we definitely think it's an area that's underutilized, that's maybe misunderstood to a certain extent. And because things aren't statistically significant, they kind of get downgraded in importance, but they really shouldn't. And we'll we'll go through a few reasons why we think that is. And Kevin, come on, in the B2B world, like who is getting statistically significant results? Yeah. Like B2B data, so often you and I discuss it, it is so thin to begin with and people try and convince themselves mm. that they can hang out for a statistically significant result. The reality is most don't have an audience big enough. And even if they do, once they spend the time to get that result, it's too late. It's taken too long. Mm. Your competitors have listened to the qualitative data. They've moved on to the next thing. And so the point that you're going to action from it is almost too far gone. No, that's totally true. That's something we talk about very often, whether it's in relation to clients that you're working with and, and clients with Medigy that I get exposed to. It is a very common issue in the B2B space. And that's why we think as, as a first reason, that's why qualitative data becomes very important because it's so much faster. You get so much more insight than quantitative right away, right off the bat. I mean, Kev, a, a thoughtful response from a target potential customer on your LinkedIn post is so much more insightful into their psyche than what you might gather from a Google Analytics report, for example. No, 100%, because when you're looking at a Google Analytics report, half the time you're making up that context around it to, to make sense of the numbers instead of actually just talking to the people that make up those numbers and figuring out what's actually going on in their heads. <laughs> That's such a good point. It's, and I, I'm so guilty of that. Before I understood the power of qualitative data, I'd be digging into GA and you do, you're just making up stories. You're making up stories and, and context to try and fit those numbers. But the reality is probably so far from what you're concluding and you're so much better off just grabbing a sample size of customers and asking them directly. Yeah, I think that you definitely need to take them together, the qualitative and quantitative, because one without the other will lead you down the wrong path most of the time. 
Kevin, we spoke just then about how qualitative data enables you to react so much faster. You don't have to wait for that data to gather in order to make decisions. And we said that if you're waiting for numbers to show up to be statistically significant in Google Analytics, one, you might be providing context and reaching conclusions that are false. And two, you're not, never going to move faster than your competition. Now, what we do with the B2B Playbook, we take really the contents of our podcast, we chop it up, and we post the key ideas on LinkedIn every day. And we get direct response on which of those key ideas have resonated with our audience. So we know, I guess, how to improve that content in the future. Again, what it is that we need to clarify. By doing that, you and I have minimum 60 comments a week on our content from our target listeners, which gives us so much information as to what to do next and how to make sure that our content is really tightly wound in with what our customers want. We have that feedback loop so tight. Yeah, I don't want to take it too off topic. It is a great point then to point out that when we do repurpose some of that content, we are targeting Dream 100 spaces as well. Not just comments back from our target listeners, but from our Dream 100 as well, because if our Dream 100 are engaging with us, then the audience sees that. And then that's also, I guess, an amplification of our efforts to get to our target listeners. So actually, when we're talking, you know, 60 plus comments a week and, and growing, there's actually a bigger pool than that 60 that we're influencing because we're actually some of that. And a lot of that is actually Dream 100, who then has a multiplication effect that you know, 60 other people will see each one of those comments and so on and so on. You know, 60 comments a week is a, a pretty significant uh, qualitative data feedback loop. Whereas compared to, say, if you're looking at quantitative data, you might not get that many people feeding back and commenting and, and giving you that quantitative data for the same repurposing of posts. You know, not everyone is going to click through your LinkedIn post to land on your page and engage with the content that way, not not even 60 people you're going to pick up in LinkedIn's own data because some people might just get that impression, have a look, and LinkedIn might not report on some of that interaction that they then have with your, with your content uh, beyond that. So it, it is really important to get that extra qualitative data through repurposing your content for socials. That's right, Kev. Most people, I mean, when it comes to socials, most people are lurkers. I mean, even you, you're more in that lurker category. Yeah, it's, 100%. It's something like some ridiculously high proportion of LinkedIn members like just view, but they don't engage even if they do like something. So I think it's definitely 90 plus, um, maybe even the high 90s uh, for people who don't actually like or comment a lot higher than that who never comment. So there you go. Super high. And I'm sure our listeners are probably like a big, <laughs> a big bucket of that as well. And as you said, if you were just to go by how many likes your post got or how many views it got, it just doesn't tell you the full story. And so that would be using quantitative data. And as you alluded to earlier, Kevin, that can really lead you astray. Kev, one example of how you can actually practically take that qualitative data and put it back into your content is, again, sorry to go back to what we do, but people have been commenting on my post just this week, last week around experts and how people can get buy-in from experts within their company and get them to be the experts that help them create content. And we just gave them some tips around that. That's a really hot topic for people at the moment. And I could tell by how many comments were left 
on that particular post that people wanted to hear more about it and that it was an issue that was important to them. It was probably a pain point for quite a, quite a lot of our audience because it is difficult getting people internally in your company to be the expert to help you create content when that isn't their only job. And Kevin, it would take me so much longer to get that information if I just wanted to wait from a quantitative point, which probably for us would be to look at the total number of podcast downloads to see if that particular episode where we mentioned that gained more traction. But even then, we mentioned so many other things in that episode that I would never have known that it was that topic around how to mobilize experts within your company that people really cared about and were struggling with. It's definitely hard. It's definitely hard. Again, we'll if we were just looking at podcast downloads, we'd be writing that story, that dialogue in our head of why people will be guessing at that. We'll be guessing at why people like that episode. We might not pick that right point of why that episode was getting more downloads. So that is a great example to say that, you know, you can't just use your quantitative data and this is how you use your qualitative data to get that insight in a very timely manner and start to improve your content very quickly. And George taking that information about experts and then putting that into a post is a great example of how you would do that. You can also use the qualitative data to improve existing content of yours. And that happened to me when we speak a fair bit about customer research, customer interviews. I did a post about questions you should ask in customer interviews. And then I had some people comment with some really, really thoughtful questions that I just hadn't thought of to raise in customer interviews. And I've taken those now and I've added those to our list of questions. And I just thought that was like an amazing way of taking what the community has given you, people who are experts and specialists in that particular field, and then adding that into our wider content to share with our own listeners. That's very important, George, very important. As we always said, the B2B playbook is a framework. It's a framework that you can build a lot of specific things into and all this feedback that you're getting, the more, the quicker you can get it, the better. So using your qualitative data is very important and building into that framework for our listeners and for ourselves as we start to, as we continue to grow the B2B playbook. Um, But it also means that that same principle, our listeners can apply and using their own qualitative data to improve their own feedback loops and then their own content. Kev, there's some other benefits to using qualitative data that aren't necessarily directly related to your content. But one is if you are taking an account-based marketing approach, which I think every business should have a demand generation arm and an account-based arm working simultaneously, it can be really difficult to get quantitative data on the success of these campaigns unless you're paying you know from ex- for some expensive like marketing technology software to help you do it but even then the insights that you get from there probably aren't going to be as useful as you literally just going through and looking at the comments i mean we go through and we see for topics that are really resonating there's companies and their marketing teams are like tagging other marketers from their team in our post saying like hey come and have a look at this now, if we want, I'm not saying we're going to, Kevin, but if we wanted to go after those target accounts, well, they're people who are pretty primed for us because we know that they like what we're putting out there. We know that they like our framework. So that can give you some really good insight as to which companies are really responding to and resonating with your message, your frameworks. 
Yeah, good legs for an ABM strategy to stand on, having that qualitative data from comments, whatever it might be. Yeah, even if you're just starting to put your ABM approach together, it can give you an idea as to where to start. It can help you try and niche down and have make that part of your go-to-market strategy in the beginning and go, well, it seems like all these companies who are you know, in that early stage, less than 30 employees and you know, maybe you're a SaaS business, they seem to be ones who are really liking what we're putting out there. So let's go and target them initially. And finally, Kev, we're speaking a lot about qualitative data. You and I obviously love it. We said it's going to be the new hot thing this year. And the other thing that we said is going to be really hot this year is community. And the two go hand in hand. Qualitative data is actually what helps you create such a tight feedback loop that it gives you the best chance to create a community around it. A community is only going to spring up around your content if it really speaks to your potential customers, to your audience, because then they're going to engage with it. If it's not that relevant to them, if it only semi-engages with them, there's going to be no conversation around it. Yeah, exactly. If you think about the mechanics of building a very tight feedback loop, it's that two-way conversation we were talking about before. But then you think about what is involved in a community springing up. It's also a lot of these two-way conversations, but then it's three-way conversations, it's four-way conversations, it's a lot more conversations happening within a community, right? So if you have very many conversations happening in your qualitative data and your comments in this feedback loop, naturally, as you grow that, it's gonna start growing and spiraling into a community, basically. I think a really cool example, again, is a guy called Todd Clauser who works at Refined Labs. I brought him up a couple of weeks ago. He's the one who's killing it on TikTok at the moment for creating like funny B2B content, which, you know, who thought you could do that? But he's really leading the charge when it comes to that. He literally asks people on LinkedIn what parodies he should do next with his B2B content. And then he gets like 70, 80 comments I'm like, hey, Todd, I reckon you should parody this scene from like the notebook, but like make them, you know, one person sales, the other person marketing instead. And then people throw their other ideas in there. And then he literally just looks through and is like, oh, that one looks great. I'm going to do that one. And like, what an awesome way to get the community involved in the production of your content. Now, he was only able to do that because he started making that content really true to the audience initially and hitting their pain points and making them laugh about really niche things to do with sales and marketing. So he did that work first and then he was able to get the community involved around that. Kevin, moving again beyond just how you can use qualitative data to inform your content, we've spoken about how it helps you move at pace and really helps you have that additional context that you might miss from an, an analytics report or some other kind of report. And one really simple but obvious piece of advice that we've picked up and we do across our clients and we think it's so great as an indicator as to what marketing channels are working is to create a how did you hear about us form anytime someone comes to get in touch with you, whether it's through a contact form, whether it is through like a demo request form. And then those people tell you about how they first heard about you. Yeah, it's really important here when you're adding that field to make sure that you actually leave it open. So there's not just a drop down menu and you limit their options. That might help with completion rates, but you won't get as good a qualitative insight into how people actually heard about you because they might have heard it through 
some obscure word of mouth online forum somewhere that you don't know about, but that you might actually be able to leverage. So make sure to leave that open and see what you get through before considering whether you need to close that up into more of a drop down menu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might, if you leave that open, you might hear, oh, Sharon from XYZ came across your podcast because of your LinkedIn posting and recommended that I listen to it. And, uh, you know, now I want a free demo or like I've been following you for ages off the back of it and I want a free demo now. Analytics, quantitative insights are probably just going to tell you that that came direct or through organic. Mm. And so, you know, that could be attributed to your SEO efforts, but the reality is it was the podcast that brought that first touch. So it's really enabling you to react quickly to what people are actually saying and being able to closely identify which parts of your marketing are working better than others. And potentially even, you know, encouraging you to do more on the referral affiliate marketing front if it's a lot of word of mouth and passing on and making sure that your content is very easily shareable. I know when we started sharing the podcast, you know, finding a link to easily push people to the platform that they listen to to find our podcast was something we had to put thought into. So that that is something that your qualitative data could potentially point you in the right direction of as well. I kind of feel sorry when, you know, a lot of podcasts and the people who make those podcasts, they build an audience and they make a living off having sponsors come on. And often, you know, the way that they'll make money is as an affiliate. So someone will come on, talk about a particular product or a course. And then at the end, the host will say, you know, go to their website forward slash, you know, the name of the host. So there's a specific mm. landing page for that host. And then the the number of people who buy, like presumably the host gets a cut of that. And that's how they make some yeah. additional money from their podcasting. But that's only going to work if people actually remember to go and do that. And there's probably such a big influence beyond <laughs> that particular direction that that host is not mm. going to get credit for. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. But I guess for those hosting the referral programs and affiliate programs, that's extra bonus feature, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not saying, Kevin, that we wouldn't be open to it. Again, our sponsorships <laughs> section is <laughs> still open. If anyone out there wants to sponsor... Yeah, we're, we're still open. It's got to add value. It's got to add value to our listeners, George. Oh, I, so I think I, I think our sponsors should not be marketing related at all. Again, I, I think <laughs> we, try, we try and get something, to, maybe like a new seltzer. Seltzers are really hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll get one of those. Something that allows just, us to be totally impartial a... and beneficial to me. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say... Impartial to the extent of um, financial gain otherwise, but definitely in your benefit, George. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kevin. We're in love with qualitative data. It's really clear. There are still some really great uses of quantitative data. I don't want to crap all over it. Like There is still some very good use cases for it. We've covered one of them already, which is, you know, looking at average reading time, uh, Google Analytics of a certain page to see which topics your particular audience liked from the articles that you've written, from the posts you've put out there. 
The key there is that even though it doesn't tell you exactly what they love about that particular article, at least it starts to point you in the right direction of where to look and where to focus your qualitative data collection efforts. Another metric that you and I like to look at is the number of engaged users. And we set up a pixel, like a tracker, that measures how far someone scrolls down a particular page and how long that they spend on it. And then that particular tracker fires. And so we can go into Google and see, well, out of the total number of users that went to that particular page, how many were engaged, meaning how many scrolled more than 50% down and were on there for a good period of time. That's actually a really handy metric. And uh, it's quite a cool script that we borrowed from Simo Ahava. And it might be worth linking in the show notes for our listeners because you can then use that and we use it to push that engagement data back to any advertising platforms that we use. So for LinkedIn, for example, we can optimize to engaged users rather than just any user. We can measure things like cost per engaged user too, or cost per engaged viewer. So when we're directing our target audience to thought leadership articles, we're not just looking at total number of clicks or views, we're looking at, okay, what was the cost per engaged view? So that's a kind of cool way to use quantitative data. And then there are a few more obvious ways to use quantitative data on LinkedIn, like which companies viewed your LinkedIn videos. LinkedIn gives you like you know a whole lot of information about which companies are actually looking at it, which companies like your content, which companies engage with it. You can still see that information. Uh, it's a little bit tedious to go through all your posts if you want to see over the last three months who are the people, companies most engaged with us. And a tool that we've been using to kind of aggregate that data, and it's a little bit hacky, it's called Phantom Buster. And you can basically scrape all the people who like or engage with your posts and then do a bit of analysis and some spreadsheets. Um, There are some platforms that do some of this a bit more automatically for you. I think one is called Shield.app, which is specifically for LinkedIn creators. And it kind of allows you to view that information without having to do that manual work with Phantom Buster. Um, but again, you and I are still cheapos and we're doing it the um, the harder way. And then of course, there's a more sophisticated version of that, which is um, lead scoring tools like Intentify, Sixth Sense, that kind of thing, which tells you which companies are engaging more with your business and could be good potential customers to go after. Again, not quite as tightly related to um, feedback for your content, but just some other points where you can use quantitative data. Well, Kev, that's a fair bit of information about how you can use qualitative data, some about quantitative. You and I love qualitative, but just for our listeners who want the too long, didn't listen version, what were the key takeaways? If you want to stand out from the competition, you need to embrace qualitative data, particularly from your potential customers. What this will do is it will help you to hone in on what they want to hear about. It will help you tighten up your feedback loop and feed more back into improving your content so that it resonates with that potential customer group. And if you do that, there's more chance that you can build a community around that content as well. Quantitative data is still important, don't get us wrong, but it should not be the sole focus of what you're doing with your content and your feedback loop because that means you would be reacting way too slow. Thank you, Kevin. And as per usual, our listeners can find the links to everything that we've discussed in the show notes. 
Next week, we're going to discuss how to scale and keep track of all these content production activities, whether that's scaling by sharing the workload in-house or getting some external help. We're so grateful that each week, more and more marketers are tuning in each Monday morning to the B2B Playbook. And if you got value from the show, if we can ask just one thing, it's please leave us a short review on whatever platform it is that you listen on. You don't even actually need to write anything. Just jump in and give us a star rating, you know, one, five, whatever floats your boat. It's a huge help to us, unless it's a one star, obviously, and we'd really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's definitely helpful, as George said. And it does help us get more reach, more of our own feedback loop building, and it helps us make the content better for you, the listeners. Thank you very much for tuning in once again. Thank you, George, uh, for your time, and see you listeners next week. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Kevin. Looking forward to next week. Cheers. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.